John chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. But the Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in man. This is the word of the Lord. It took me a while in my life to develop a sense of seeing messes around me. I don't know if this comes with just being a guy, but I didn't quite get it, and this was a little bit of a frustration early on in our marriage, and I don't know if it was just I didn't have the vision for it yet, but things would get dirty and messy in our house, and be like, don't you see this? I'm like, no, it's, it seems fine to me, like, I'm okay with it. Everything started to change, though, when I became a stay-at-home dad. A little bit before COVID hit, and for basically the whole time of, you know, 2021, 2022, I was, I was a stay-at-home dad. Then I started to see messes, slowly, almost like coming out of a dark room and into, like, bright light. It's like, oh, it's messy in here. Somebody should do something about this. Oh, that's right, that's me. I should, I should do something about this. And then I cleaned up the messes. I like put stuff away. I got the girls to clean up their room. And then you know what happened? They came back. More messes. I remember walking into a room one time and be like, I just cleaned this. One of the most beautiful experiences, though, was after I had cleaned up a mess, cleaned up the house, washed the floors, and, like, nobody was there the next day, like, they must have been on vacation or something or traveled, and I remember walking into the space and nothing had moved. It was all the way it was supposed to be. Everything was still clean. I was like, oh, this feels good. The mess was cleaned up and it stayed that way. Probably my, one of my problems was is I would just get used to the messes. You know how you just kind of leave something there for a while? And then you just keep walking by it and walking by it. And then it kind of stops bugging you. Things pile up on that like table in the corner of your house. You just keep walking by it. It just stacks up. Kind of becomes normal after a while. I know this is a problem in... The girls' room. 
you know, they pull out toys, they play with them, they leave them there, they pull out more toys, they play with them, they leave them there, and it just kind of stacks up, and you just start walking over stuff to, like, get to the bed, and that becomes totally normal. It's <laughs> blaming your sister. I think that's kind of what happened in the scripture that we read today. I think that's what Jesus walked into when he walked into the temple, that Jesus is able to identify a mess that people have been walking by for so long that it's just become normal to them. They don't have the vision to see what the problem is and what's going on in the temple. And as Jesus steps into it, he sees that something needs to be done about it. Something needs to be cleaned up. People's eyes need to be opened and space needs to be made so that those who desire to come to God can without hindrance. And I think it becomes an example for us gathered here today that we don't have a temple. We don't have a place necessarily where we have to go to interact with God. Sure, we come here to church because this is where we worship and this is where we connect, but we don't have that special place because God is everywhere. We can connect with God wherever we are, but the understanding is that we need to work on our hearts as Jesus has cleared the temple. And that's part of the point that I'd like you to walk home with today, which would be this. As Jesus cleansed the temple, we need to prepare our hearts so that we can clear space to see the glory of Jesus revealed in our lives. We need to take time to clear our own hearts. So one of the ways I wanted to start us on this journey a little bit today is to ask you all a question, and feel free to answer it. I'll share some of my answers. But what in your life is distracting you today? What's distracting you? What was that? Telephones. I put mine over there. That was a good call to not distract me. But yes, those little things in your pockets bugging you all the time. What else is distracting you today? Netflix. There's always something to watch. Always something to distract you. I just got back from traveling. I was attending a pastor's conference for pastors in my similar role this past week, and I flew in last night. So I'm a little bit, you know, still off kilter from travel, a little bit distracted by that. Anybody else have things distracting them? The news. Man, the news wants your attention, doesn't it? Pets. Those cats. Dogs. Wake the cats. Waking us up early, demanding we feed them again. Can't find something. It's lost. Stuck in your head. You can't get that out of your head. I'm a, what? Lots of paperwork. A lot of people keep giving us papers to fill out. They're getting ready to travel. Yes, they're all going off. My family's going off to Colorado this next week. I'm a part of a fantasy football team, league. In the back of my head, if I'm completely honest, I'm wondering what my players are going to be doing today a little bit. I think it's helpful for us to say these things, to lay them out, because other people here are probably distracted by some of the same things that we've mentioned. 
And I think that's what Jesus wants to step into today is to help us learn how to remove those distractions to make space for us to hear what he wants us to hear. So the beginning of this story is Jesus comes into Jerusalem. The, the, the setting is laid out for us. It says it was time for the Jewish Passover and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You might expect this story to progress a little bit similar to the way than the one we looked at last week, where Jesus and his disciples go to a wedding. A wedding is a party. A wedding is a feast, like we talked about. Celebration is joyful. The Passover festival was very similar. People from all over Israel would come to Jerusalem, pack the city because they were celebrating their freedom. The Passover was the festival that remembered the night that the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt. When they painted the lamb's blood over their doorpost so that the angel would pass over their house and that their firstborn children would be spared. And when they woke up the next morning, Pharaoh said, get out of here. You guys are free. And they left to become the people of God. People would come from all over, both Israel and the known world, Jews and devout Gentile followers. Jerusalem would have been packed with people. People ready to celebrate, to throw a festival. Jesus comes into Jerusalem expecting this, but he runs into something else. The temple courts are filled with people, but they're not celebrating they're selling animals they're exchanging money you can imagine the noise of animals in the temple oxen it says sheep doves been to the county fair been around the animals and the noise there People are exchanging money, they're talking, they're, you can hear coins clinking around. There was a reason that these people were there. If you've ever traveled internationally, especially in the age of before like ATMs when you like took cash with you, anybody still carry cash with them? When you get to your destination, the, one of the first places you'd have to go would be to the money exchange, right? You'd have to get the money that you could use in that country because they wouldn't accept dollars. They'd have to get, you'd have to get something else. And when you'd go and would exchange that money, would you get exactly the same amount of money that you gave them back? No. They'd take a little bit to facilitate the exchange. That's what was happening. People would come from all over and when they'd get to the temple, they would have to exchange the money that they had. And in the temple, you had to pay with a very specific coin because if you came with Roman money, who was on that Roman coin? Caesar. And for the Romans, Caesar was God. And so you couldn't pay with that coin in the temple. You had to exchange it for the temple coin. It was a first and second commandment issue for the devout Jews Worship God alone and don't make idols. Roman coin, that's a problem. So you need to get something else. 
animals. Why were the animals there? Well, Passover was a big opportunity to sacrifice. There was the lamb that was sacrificed. And you would offer a sacrifice to it for your sins to participate in the festival. And if you're coming from a long distance and you brought your like precious lamb that you wanted to sacrifice in the temple, you might not, they might not make it on the way to Jerusalem. Something could happen to that lamb on the way there, whatever animal you were going to offer to sacrifice. Takes a lot of work and effort to get an animal to Jerusalem. Anybody who's traveled with children in the car, you got to keep feeding them snacks. It's kind of the same. It was pretty much more convenient to just purchase your animal once you got there. And it was convenient at the temple that they could say, this lamb's perfect. You just buy this one. You might also run into the problem that if you did bring your lamb to sacrifice, you'd go to the temple and they'd be like, sorry, that lamb's not good enough. We have one here for you that you can purchase at the low, low price of whatever. And this space was more than likely in the court of the Gentiles, which was a huge outdoor space in front of the main temple space that the priest would go into for worship because that was the place that was set that you could do things. It wasn't the holiest place in the temple. It was like, you know, kind of that front entryway just as before you step into the lobby. Jesus walks into the space expecting setups and preparations for a feast, for connection with God, for connection with the Father. And when he steps into it, he sees all of this business going on, and he's upset. This is not what the space is supposed to be used for. This is not why I've come to Jerusalem to see this and to participate in this. And so when he sees it, John tells us, he says, he made a whip out of cords and drove out all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables, get it now, to those with doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Literally in Greek, it says, my father's house has become a market house. Houses used twice. That Jesus is comparing what the intention of the place is for what it has now become. And you think of the idea of a house. A house is where somebody's supposed to live. Imagine going to somebody's house and knocking on the door, and they open it up, and they start asking you for money. Or they start saying, hey, you can buy this thing from us. We have all of these beautiful, I don't know, you can make it up, things that they're trying to sell you. Is that why you came to their house? No, you came to hang out, have a meal, have a conversation. But they're using it for something else. The purpose of the house has been altered, and Jesus sees that. The temple was the place that God lived. It's where they believed God's spirit rested in the holy of holies in the centermost point of the temple, And Jesus says it's become a house for something else, become like a market. It became hard to tell what the place was really supposed to be for. 
And it was even becoming difficult for the temple to be accessed for that purpose if you had to run the gauntlet of money changers and animal sellers to get to where you could experience God and worship Him. Needless to say, it was a distracting mess that Jesus took upon Himself to clean up. This idea of cleaning, cleansing, it's called cleansing the temple. When we clean things, we don't just make them pure. Sure, we all have the sprays that we use on our tables and in the kitchens to help get bacteria off. But I think one of the most important things about cleaning, and that's why I talked about messes and stuff at the beginning, is that cleaning makes space. When you pull, take stuff off the floor and put it away in its proper place, you now have space to walk. When you take stuff off of your counter in the kitchen and put it in the cabinets and drawers and places it's supposed to go, you now have space to use the counter to cook. Use it for what it's supposed to be used for. Use it for its intention. We reorient the space by cleaning it up to allow it to be filled with what it's supposed to be. It's not a mess. It's not chaos. It's not a distraction. And hopefully as we make space, it then begins to be filled with what it's intended to be filled with. If it's a kitchen, sounds of cooking, sounds of conversation, sounds of laughter. If it's the dining room table, sounds of a family gathered together enjoying a meal, telling what happened that day. If it's a bedroom, hopefully silence because you're trying to sleep a little bit and not distracted by the mess that's around you. For us, sometimes we need to do cleanup in our own hearts. We need to make space and get rid of those things that are distracting us that we all shared in the beginning so that we can reorient our lives before God. That's why I asked you what distracts you at the beginning of this message. Get it out. Make space. God wants to fill it with what he intends to share with you today. And there are many ways that we can do that to clean up our hearts, reorient ourselves. We talked about spiritual practices in a message series shortly after I arrived. Prayer, reading scripture, spending time in silence, being gracious for the things and joys that God has given you. Those are all ways that we look in our hearts and see the things that are in there that aren't supposed to be there and that we can clear them out. We can make space for God to fill, for God to step into and to show us what his intentions for us are. Jesus clears the temple. He starts throwing things, upsetting tables, kicking out the animals, overturning the money changers. And then it says these Jews showed up, which is funny in John because there's Jews everywhere in Jerusalem. So why would just Jews, like they're already here, but they demand Jesus for a sign. They ask, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? We have all sorts of signs in our lives that direct us, that we say have authority over us. 
Anybody here ever been pulled over by a police officer? Mm-hmm. What signs does the officer have that show us their authority? Lights, big flashy signs. Badge. They have a gun. Yep. Huh? The uniform. Big stick. Yeah. Imagine if the officer pulled you over and walked up to your window and the first thing you said, what signs and authority do you have to do this? Please, sir, step out of the vehicle. But what's interesting, too, is what signs then does the officer ask you for? License and registration, please. Huh? Insurance, yep. What signs and authority do you have to even be in this vehicle? So there's this this interesting kind of trade and demonstration of whose authority, why are you here? Yeah, we even have this in our own lives. So the Jews showed up kind of demanding this. Jesus, why are you here? Why can you do this? What authority do you have? They want to see his badge, if you will, or license and registration, please. They're not necessarily concerned by what he does, but that he can do it. And what's interesting is, as we've been reading through the Gospel of John, we already have a sign. The wedding of Cana was said to be the first sign of Jesus' glory. So we know, but they don't. So Jesus offers them this sign. He says, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up again. Standing in the midst of the temple, standing in the Gentile courts, he says, destroy this temple in three days and in three days I will raise it up again. Whoa, 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 Jesus. Do you see how big these bricks are? Do you know how long it took to carve them from stone to get them here? They say it took decades to build this temple, and you're going to build it again in three days? John gives us the footnote that Jesus wasn't talking about the building, the structure, the court that he was standing in. He was talking about his own body. And these words won't become clear to anyone until after the resurrection. It says, then they remembered. Then they had the space in their hearts and minds to see. After following Jesus, following his life, and then when he was resurrected from the dead, they could look back and it would spark. Ah, that's what he meant. Jesus coming into the temple... Being the true dwelling place of God, Jesus and the temple. Think about that for a second. People believe that God lived in the temple. That's where his spirit was, I said. And Jesus Christ steps into that space. The very person of Jesus, both human and divine, standing in the house of God. And what's interesting, as Jesus is having this conversation 
with the Jewish leaders about the temple, they literally ask him, and they mention the space, the building, the structure. The word they use refers to the bricks. Jesus ends up using a different word, and I won't belabor you with the Greek of it. But he's talking about something else. Distinction is made between the physical place that Jesus is standing in, but with the place where God actually resides. It's not the building, it's where God is. And when Jesus refers to the temple being destroyed and then in three days being raised again, referring to his body, that Jesus is now saying this, Jesus' body is where God now resides. The point isn't the focus on the temple. Those who have space in their hearts and are open to see it as the disciples ultimately will have will make those connections. Sometimes the connections in Jesus' life come a lot later. Come a lot later in our own lives. After our interactions with the risen Jesus, things can look different even for us. The happy moments that we've had in our lives, along with the sad and difficult moments, take different shades and colors and light of our interactions with Jesus in the resurrection. Good can become great. Like the story we just read of Jesus' miracle at the wedding of Cana. It's a party that then ended with an overflowing, abundant amount of wine. But bad moments, hard moments, sad moments in our own lives can be redeemed. When we look to Jesus on the cross and the resurrection that comes from that, we can see that God can take the worst moments in our lives and transform them into something else if we have the eyes to see it. If we've made the space in our own hearts and minds to perceive it. If we've allowed Jesus to come into us and like he cleansed the temple to cleanse our own hearts. To take out the things that are distracting us. To let the phones in our pockets stop bugging us. To let the bad news that we see every morning or every afternoon not affect us, but we can just say, God, redeem that. Through the lens of the resurrection with our lives oriented towards God, we can see the signs and markers that he has laid out before us. There's one thing about this story that I believe deep down in my heart. It's that this story does not give us a license to lash out in anger. I've had friends, fellow churchgoers, nobody here but previously in my life, that would pull out this passage and say, see, Jesus got angry. I can get angry and I can lash out against people that I think are doing the wrong thing. I heard on a podcast lately, and the speaker said, there is no emergency so great that should cause us to abandon the fruit of the Spirit. Not stuck in me. Why do I not believe that this story allows us to lash out in anger? 
It's the words that the disciples remember. The psalm that's quoted, Psalm 69, it says, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus is acting out a judgment that will befall the temple ultimately later in 70 AD, but also on himself. When he says, zeal for your house will consume me. When they remember zeal for your house will consume me. And he says, destroy this temple and it will raise again in three days. He knows that his life will mirror the destruction and judgment. It's about him. He's acting out what's going to happen to him. He doesn't call his disciples to participate. Philip, Nathaniel, start overturning tables. Help kick out the ox and the sheep. Jesus does this all on his own. We don't have a temple. What house are we talking about here? What house is Jesus talking about? It's us. It's you. It's me. The cleansing that needs to happen isn't out there. The cleansing that needs to happen isn't in that person in the car next to me that aggravates me because they cut me off. The cleansing isn't that person who believes a different political thing than I do. The cleansing is right here. In my own heart. In my own mind. The zeal that consumes us should be for us. Another way I believe this is the way the early church acted in response to this passage. A commentator I read said this. The cleansing of the temple has long been taken as symbolic of the purification of candidates in preparation for their baptism on Easter Eve. In union with the risen Christ, they are to be members of his body. The believing people now become a new temple. This was an essential verse and verses for people who had become Christians because they knew their cleansing is what needed to happen. They needed to change. They were following Jesus. Jesus was doing the work in their hearts and minds. I think what can really change our perspective on this is a lot of times we like to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes. I want to be like Jesus. What's Jesus doing? That's good. What if we put ourselves in the shoes of the money changers? In the shoes of those selling animals. In the shoes of those who are the distraction. I think you could twist my question a little bit that I asked you in the beginning to be this question instead. Where have I been a distraction to those desiring to worship God? This is what Jesus wants to change. Where have I been a hindrance for people who want to come and experience God in his house with his son and with his people. This is what Jesus wants to cleanse. This is what Jesus wants to make space for. I won't have you guys share an answer to this question. So hopefully, meditate on that 
And then you come to see the point that I wanted to leave you with at the beginning. That as Jesus cleanses the temple, we need to prepare our hearts so that we can clear space to see the glory of Jesus revealed in our lives. Before I spoke a word, you were singing. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so